Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. Hey, this is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. Hey, Christy. Hey, Beth. We always say hey to each other after we say hey. Well, hey. Well, hey. (laughs) Hey, girl. (laughs) What's going on in your neck of the country? Uh, Not a whole lot. Kids are back in school part-time. Well, some are back in school part-time. So it's different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mine go back today. Technically, I guess the day that this airs, my kids were going back to school part-time. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I am so excited. I took them to get their blue shots this past week because, you know, we always have to try to, I don't know, they said to do it. They, 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 drive to up. Do it. they told me to do it. They told me to get the flu shots, so I got the flu shots. But our pediatrician does drive up flu shots. So you seriously have to put your kids in shorts and oh. drive up and they open the door and just, you know, that's not dramatic at all. But prick them and leave. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> just drive away. Well, I mean, I'll tell you, it. it is the way to do it. Cause I'll tell you what, if that, if I can find that here, I mean, I may consider doing it cause I'm kind of undecided. I'm on the fence about it right now. I understand the need. I know why we're supposed to go do it, but I'm traumatized by flu shots. Okay. Yes. My middle guy, this was two years ago. He somehow always ended up only being the only one that would get flu shots because his birthday was around this time. And so he would go to the doctor and get it. And the other one was allergic to eggs and the other guy was just a little guy and we just didn't do it. But anyway, um, we went this one year, two years ago, and I had my little guy and the middle guy and he's on, he's eight years old and he's on the thing and he's screaming his head off because he doesn't like needles and he does not want them to poke him with that needle. I'm, and, and I'm not just talking like, oh, okay, he's screaming. No, he's screaming. He's flailing. They can't (gasps) hold him down. (gasps) I'm like not knowing what the heck to do. They call in four nurses to help. With because one's got to just be able to poke him. Oh my gosh. So they've got four nurses in there. He's screaming so bad that then my four year old goes and kicks the nurse (laughs) that's about to poke him. (laughs) And I'm standing there not knowing my brother. (laughs) Not knowing what to do. So they send one of the nurses out to take the four year old out of the room because he's kicking people and then have me hold him down too, the other guy down. (laughs) It was. It was awful. Awful. I tell you what. (laughs) I just may have skipped it. (laughs) And then not to mention after the fact, he goes, when they're done, they're like, we're done. And he's like, oh, you're done? No. Like, no, you didn't. You did not just cause that scene. Cause your brother to assault a nurse and and say, (laughs) oh, we're done. (laughs) Ooh, best brother ever, though, for trying to protect him. Yeah. The little brother, too. Like, you're not going to mess with my big brother. Mm-hmm. Who knew? Who knew they were friends like that? Yeah, you wouldn't. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me, honestly, this reaction out of him. Oh, no. It's not surprising. He's yeah. always had. Well, which one? 
Either one. Either one. The reaction. <laughs> not surprising. Flailing one is who I was talking about. Yes, the flail- He's done stuff like that before, but this was like the extreme. It was the worst I'd ever seen him do it. And I was like, oh, I don't want, I don't ever want to do flu shot again. So. Okay. So no flu shots. God bless you if he ever has to have a COVID test when they stick that thing up his nose. Have you seen those on YouTube? Don't watch them. Don't watch them. Because we're all going to have to get one at some point. Don't watch it. It yeah, me. Yeah, because because the flu test is well, it's not the same. I know, but you put it up there too. Oh, I don't. I don't guess I've ever. Because he's one? had one of those. Oh. Two of my kids had, and he has had one of those, and he was like, "It's like up his, in your brain." I mean, I don't know because I haven't had them either one. I have not had a COVID test or a flu test, so I have no idea. But it is a swab up your nose for the flu. Mm, I would imagine it's probably the same. Then, nope, I don't. I don't got no interest in that. <laughs> nope. nope. I'd rather him take blood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Prick my finger. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever. You can have a vial if you don't stick something in my brain matter. <laughs> like I don't want to taste it. I don't mind. Just bleh. can't. <laughs> Yeah, now be sticking things places. <laughs> okay, I have a uh, murder story for you. You do? To take your mind off the flu shot. Yes, and anything else that might be happening in the world. Let's talk about <laughs> something else that's happening mm-hmm. in the world. So my story, if you're ready. Mm-hmm. I'm totally okay, ready. Is called The Show and Tell Murder. Ooh, show and tell. Hmm. Remember that show fun kid game? Yeah. 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 Not so much. No. No. So I'm going to tell you the story of a man, young boy, by the name of James T.D. That's how hmm. he pronounces his name. It's not spelled that way. And I have a lot of questions about why it's pronounced that way. But. You know, it's spelled T-H-I-E-D-E, like Thede, in my opinion, but it's apparently pronounced T-D. Oh, yeah. I've seen people with that, and it's like T. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I've seen that. Okay, Okay, so James T-D. James was born in 1965 in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Okay. Okay. So at some point, which I am unclear when he moves with his family from Canada to Las Vegas, Nevada. And when he moves to Las Vegas, Nevada, his family, as well as him, actually take on the last name Kelly as an alias. Oh. So they lose the TD. Mm-hmm. And they have Kelly as their last name because... At this time when they moved, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police were investigating them or they were people of interest in Canada and in the U.S. for drug smuggling. Mm. And his family actually later was federally indicted for drug smuggling. So I think they may have fled Canada and moved to Vegas and changed their name. Gotcha. So while he was living in Vegas, under the alias of the last name Kelly, he took on the nickname of Cotton. Oh, Cotton. Cotton. (laughs) Hmm. So that's his name, Cotton Kelly. 
And at the time that our story takes place, which is in 1986, he is 21 years old. Now, I'm going to post a picture of Cotton. And this is 1986, so it's very 80s. And he looks like a young Bon Jovi. (laughs) I'm not joking you. He really does. He has like this long, wavy, light, like blonde hair. He has the dimple in his chin. Mm. He's in jeans and is like, you know, just like posing (laughs) at the camera. Like he looks like a young Bon Jovi. Less cute, obviously. Mm. But very 1980s. He is not a bad looking boy. So sometime in 1986, our friend Cotton meets a girl by the name of Sandy Shaw at an arcade that is in Las Vegas called Circus Circus. This arcade was owned by one of Sandy's friends. Sandy was a 15-year-old high school cheerleader. Super cute, super spunky, but she's 15 and Cotton is 21. Mm-hmm. So Cotton really, really likes her. Like he just takes a liking to her. And he tells her that he is the owner of an adult entertainment company. Oh. And this is Vegas. Right. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we all know what that means. And he asks her to pose for him for some nude pictures. And she's like, no. Oh, okay, glad. She, she did no. Right, which props, because let me tell you, don't date people that have one name. <laughs> okay? Don't do it. Just, just call me Cotton. Yeah, like, just don't do it. Run for the hills with the desert. If you're in Vegas, don't do it. It's like, it's just never going to end well. So Sandy declines his offer However, Cotton was extremely persistent, and he actually began, like, harassing her, basically, oh. to hang out with him, to pose these for these pictures for him, and he starts showing up places. He gets her phone number from, like, some mutual acquaintances. He starts calling her at all hours, day and night, to the point where it got so bad that her mom actually called the police to report Cotton. No, I don't blame her. I would have. Right. Right. She's 15. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So at the time in Nevada, there were no stalking laws. What? None? None. No. In the 80s or 1986, whenever this was. So there was nothing they could do. They were like, he's not breaking any laws. So stalking, was stalking even a word? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I I probably not. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely wasn't a thing, at least not legally, for sure. So Sandy was scared, Mm. rightfully so, right? She's annoyed, he's a nuisance, and he gets to the point where he starts to scare her. So a little bit about Sandy. She was born Sandy Marie Shaw, and she was born in Minnesota. And when she was six years old, she moved with her family, like her mom and her brother, to Las Vegas, and she became friends with all the neighborhood kids She did really well in school. However, she had the most traumatic teenage experience that I have heard in a minute. And now we hear some stuff. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you what happened to this chick. So in September of 1984, when she was 13 years old, Sandy went to spend the night with her best friend, Jessica. While she was at Jessica's house, in her house, her step, Jessica's stepfather comes in 
and shoots Jessica's mother and two of Jessica's of her mother's friends. What? Right. So they're at Jessica's staying the night. Jessica's stepdad comes in, kills the mom and two of the mom's friends that were with her in the house and then committed suicide. Oh, my Jessica and Sandy witnessed the entire thing. Oh, gosh. So 13 years old, having a sleepover with your best friend. Everybody dies. Mass shooting. 13. Okay, so less than six months later, like, you're not going to believe this. Sandy was walking home from school, and she there was, like, a woman walking in front of her. And as she's walking, this man comes around her and grabs the woman and shoots her in the back of the head right in front of Sandy. What? How how is this even possible? How like mathematically. Is possible? Right. In six months, she has seen two extremely traumatic like shootings of multiple people. So it comes to find out that this this was this guy's girlfriend and she was pregnant. And so that's why he shot her, I guess. But as you can imagine, poor Sandy mm-hmm. is 13 years old and is like absolutely traumatized by these things that have happened to her. So she is diagnosed with PTSD. And they actually start giving her medicine, like giving her Valium and um, putting, you know, she's going through therapy and all this stuff. And this is the 80s. So like, mm-hmm. you know, grain of salt when I say therapy. Okay. So it's less than two years later when she meets Cotton. Oh, my gosh. And Cotton is what she perceives to be aggressive. So she, mm-hmm. like, is freaking out, you know? I mean, she's, like, losing her crap. And it's made worse because the police won't help them. Right. So she doesn't feel like there's anything that she can do or that her mom can do to, like, protect her. She can't protect herself. So she's super desperate. And she asks her friend that she grew up with, this guy that she grew up with in the neighborhood, named Troy Kell, to help her. And she basically is like, look, this guy Cotton is telling me he wants me to be naked and like be in this business with him and I don't want to do it and he won't leave me alone and he's freaking me out. Can you make him stop? Mm. And so Troy's like, yeah, I mean, we can like, you know, do whatever, rough him up a little bit, scare him, teach him a lesson, try to keep him away from you, like to teach him he can't be chasing little 15 year old girls and scaring him like this. So our friend Tro- Troy Kell, Sandy's friend, he was 18 years old, so he was three years older than she was. And he grew up in Las Vegas with his dad. He was an only child. He lived in the same neighborhood as Sandy. So, like, he kind of grew up similar to her, middle class. Um, his mom wasn't around, and his dad was, like, kind of a strict dad. But it was just the two of them, and they were very close from what I understand. Like, Sandy's mom kind of became like a mother figure to him. Mm. so he was family and so when she came to him and said that she was scared and this guy was you know making her fearful and was harassing her and stalking her he took it really seriously and he was like absolutely I'll help you that's you know he was a high school dropout he definitely was not you know like he had gotten into some trouble and stuff like that but Sandy was family and he was like I'm in mm-hmm. like I'll help you I'll do whatever like you big need big brotherish, exactly So he enlisted one of his friends, Billy Merritt, who is just a 17-year-old, you know, kid that lives around there. Sandy didn't know Billy Merritt, but he was a friend of Troy's. And Troy's like, look, I got to handle some business. My girl Sandy is getting, 
you know, freaked out by cotton and I need your help. We need to teach him a lesson. So Billy's like, cool, I'll help you. So the three of them make a plan. And I will tell you about that plan right after this break. Dang it. Okay. So this plan that Billy Merritt, Troy Kell, and Sandy Shaw make is that they are going to teach old Cotton a lesson. So Sandy calls up Cotton and agrees to go on a date with him. Oh. And Cotton is like, girl, I was just at the casino today and I won $1,400. Today is my lucky day. What time do you want me to pick you up? (laughs) So this took place on September 29th of 1986. So, Cotton comes to get Sandy. Troy and Billy were waiting at a prearranged spot on the highway, posing as hitchhikers. Mm. Sandy is in the car with Cotton, and she says, I know them. Let's pick them up. And she convinces Cotton to pick up Troy and Billy. She then says that she has to pee. (laughs) Oh, the old have to pee trick. Okay. Mm -hmm. So she says she has to pee. And so Cotton pulls over the car and she kind of walks out into the desert a little bit to go pee. Apparently their date was just driving around in the car. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So as she goes out to pee, she pretends like that she falls and hurts her ankle so that Cotton will get out of the car and come and help her. And and the two friends are in the car at this point because they Correct. picked him up already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Cotton, it all goes as planned. She goes. He pulls over. She pretends to pee. She pretends to fall. Cotton comes out of the car. It is hard so, to squat on the side of a road. But, yeah. <laughs> I think she like walked out a little bit off oh, okay. the road, like into the little desert, very rugged terrain, you know. Mm-hmm. So as Cotton gets out of the car to come over and help Sandy, Troy and Billy jump out of the car and we're supposed to basically just rough him up, like beat him up, intimidate him, scare him. It was just like their way of getting him in like a desolate place. Well, and out of the car because it would have been hard for them to like beat him up inside the car. Okay. Right. Making sense now. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. don't want to beat somebody up who's driving you around. That's going to go bad for everybody. So yeah. Super thought out. Um, But instead of beating him up and intimidating him and doing all of that, Troy pulls out a gun and shoots Cotton six times in the head. Oh, my gosh. I was just going to say, pause for reaction. (laughs) (laughs) It's not part of the plan, Troy. Definitely not. Punch him in the face a little. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Everyone is a little bit like, what just happened here? And then Troy takes Cotton's wallet and they leave him there. And remember, Cotton had just hit the casino earlier that day. So he had a big lot of cash. So I don't know what they did after that. Somebody said they went and bought liquor and, you know, but that's all really hearsay. We don't really know. So Sandy goes home and the next day she wakes up and she is like in full shock. Mm-hmm. What happened? Did that really happen? She is like just 
losing it. She remembers that she feels like it happened, but is like, did it really happen? Was I dreaming? Could that like, how is this possible that the, this really went down the way that I'm remembering it? And you have to remember this chick is already has like PTSD. She's real confused when it comes to life and death as far as like she's seen some stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So she was really messed up by this. So she calls up two of her friends, Stacy and David, and she tells them, like, you are not going to believe what I think happened. And they actually drive her out to the spot where Cotton's body was, and they see that it was real, that it really happened. He was still there. Yeah, he was still there, right where they his left car him. car, too? Or did they take his car? I think must they be. must have taken his car, yeah. And I think it's later said that they, like, set it on fire or something like that. Okay, so David and Stacy, Sandy's friends, are typical high school teenagers. And so they tell people who mm. tell other people who tell other people. And, and they didn't call the police. Well, people just kept going and seeing his body. Oh, my gosh. Like a tourist attraction. Show and tell murder. <laughs> So it's like a really sick game of like telephone, right? Mm. You know, telephone where one person tells the person, the next person, the next person, and then the story gets all warped and, you know. Mm -hmm. So fine. And oh, and David also, the guy that she went with the very next morning, who she originally like called and was like, help me Mm -hmm. out, take me to see if this is real. He actually ended up stealing things off the body. Oh, like, gosh. He took a watch and he took some jewel, like rings. And, like, I guess this guy, old Cotton, he lived the high life in his, you know, adult entertainment industry and casino winnings. So he had some expensive stuff. So this all gets taken. Finally, after a week, one of the kids with a friggin' soul felt guilty and reported the murder to the police. And at this time, I mean, by now, it's been like six, seven days. Everybody has heard story after story after story about, you know, who killed him and what happened. And there's just all kinds of rumors flying around. And all of these kids have gone, apparently, to see his body. And so it's kind of well known that it was Sandy, Troy, and Billy. Mm -hmm. They were immediately arrested. After they were brought in, Billy Merritt... Troy's friend immediately takes a plea deal to testify against Troy. And he was given eight to 12 years in prison if he agreed to plead guilty for accessory to murder and testify against Troy Kell. So he's like, yes, done. Where do I sign? Mm -hmm. Troy and Sandy were also given the same plea deal. However, both of them declined. Oh, why did she decline? Well, we'll get there. Okay. So Troy first, he declines the plea deal, decides to go to court. Now, Troy is the one who actually shoots this man. Right. Right. So, and it's everyone else's story. Well, everyone else, Billy and Sandy's story that they had no idea that this was going to happen. Mm -hmm. So Billy testifies against him and he's convicted. He was convicted of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Oh, wow. And he's 18, right? So super young. Okay. So Sandy gets a 
public defender. You know, she doesn't her they don't have the money to hire an attorney. So she gets assigned a public defender who had never had a criminal case. Oh, Lord have mercy. Mm-hmm. So he basically tells her, oh, darling, the jury is never going to convict some young angel-faced cheerleader of first-degree murder. Don't take that plea deal. Mm. So Sandy's like, well, okay, because first of all, I didn't kill him anyway. Secondly... He was harassing and stalking me and scaring the crap out of me like something had to be done. Nobody would help me. So she was kind of a victim of his anyways. So -hmm. she's like, okay, I won't take the plea deal. So she doesn't. And she goes to court. When they get to her trial, Sandy's two friends, David and Stacy, that went with her the morning after the murder to see the body testify literally against her. What? And they say that Sandy was bragging about the murder, that she claimed that she fired the fatal shot that actually killed Cotton, that she took a bunch of people back over and over again to the body to show them, to say, like, look what I did. Nobody can mess with me. They absolutely pinned her as the mastermind. The, you know, she was behind it all. Mm. She planned to have him murdered. She was angry. She bragged about it later. She had no remorse. Like, she was just this bad mamma jamma. Question. Uh-huh. Was Billy... Were they cor- corroborating each other's story, like, that neither one of them knew about what Troy's well, plan was? Billy did know, I think. Oh. But because... And so... But it's questionable, like what the truth is really there because he took a plea deal basically to say whatever they wanted him to say so that he would only get a certain amount in jail and they would be able to convict Troy. Okay. So he was bound, I think, by the terms of his deal on what he could and couldn't say. Okay. I think that he knew that Billy had a gun or that Troy had a gun. I think Billy Mm -hmm. knew that. I don't think Sandy did. Okay. So... But they say that she said all that to them. Mm -hmm. Sandy, again, because suck attorney, testified in her own defense, which she's 15 years old. It was a disaster. Is this attorney's name Assel? (laughs) No. No? It must be. Too soon? Too soon? No. (laughs) Never. It's never not funny. (laughs) Go back. Go back to the last episode. (laughs) Learn about Assel. Okay, so he was a good guy in that story, though. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, this real. attorney was not. He was a real asshole. <laughs> so she, it was just a huge disaster. She came off terrible. And, you know, the way that she was portrayed, just in general, she didn't really have a chance, honestly, to like, you know, mm. even be seen in a certain way. And she was convicted of first degree murder. She was actually sentenced to life without parole as well. Oh my god. She was given the exact same sentence as Troy. The one who shot the one who actually killed Cotton. She was 16 years old. So she became the youngest inmate ever sentenced to an adult prison in the state of Nevada at that time. Wow. Right? So of course, Sandy is like, I had no freaking idea that he was that he had a gun. 
that he was planning on killing him. Like, yes, we made this plan. I shouldn't have done that. I made a really bad choice to have these friends, you know, harm him in any way. And like, I was a party to this and he is dead because of me. But I did not kill him. I didn't intend for him to ever be killed, you know. So it's terrible, right? Okay. So let's talk about where they are now. So Billy, Billy Merritt, he served 12 years of his sentence and then was released from prison. But then he went on to commit many other violent offenses like Ugh. stalking, rape, attempted murder with a hatchet. What? Whoa. And so he is currently serving life without parole in a California prison. Oh, well, thank goodness they caught him. So there's Billy. Troy, Troy Kell, who, remember, was serving life without parole for the murder of Cotton. Okay, so I watched this documentary that was about him. And hold on, I'll tell you the name of it. It is called Gladiator Days, Anatomy of a Prison Murder. Hmm. And it is about the story of Troy Kell and this other guy. And he went into prison, like, just he, I don't know that he wanted to be rehabilitated. Mm. He kind of went in with something to prove, like he needed to make his place. And he got pulled under the wing of some prison gang member. And um, he just had a really, made some really bad choices. And he ended up killing an inmate in prison in 1994, stabbing him 67 times. Oh, my gosh. There is footage of this. Are you serious? I am not kidding you. And I watched it because it was in the documentary, and it was awful. Horrific. Oh, my goodness. There's this, like, his friend, accomplice, is holding this man down, and he is just 67 times. And mm. I swear I saw every 67 one of them. It was terrible. So he was actually given the death penalty. And he chose, because apparently you can choose your your method of death. Oh, I didn't he know. He chose death by firing squad. <laughs> what? Uh-huh. Nevada. So this is no longer an option. It has not been an option since 2004. But at the time, in 1994, it was. So that was the option that he chose. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they may want to pick plan B. Insane. So he is actually currently appealing this. And although I don't know how he will, because it is on footage, I saw it. And he is on death row in a Utah prison. Okay. (laughs) So, but the fact that he picked that, if he goes to death row, will they carry out in that way yes i do believe that anything before 2004 you get your choice now it's just no longer an option okay but the people who chose it as an option grandfathered in (laughs) yeah is that the right term for that yeah exactly the right term yes i think so got it right okay so sandy Mm -hmm. sandy shaw while she was in prison she earned her high school diploma Good for her. She earned three associate college degrees. She became very proficient with computers and actually taught other inmates how to use computers. Hmm. 
model prisoner, model inmate. In 1994, Sandy was granted an appeal based on ineffective counsel. Thank you. Holla. Right. However, rather than going through another trial, they offered her a plea deal. And she took it. And this plea deal was life with parole. Oh, I was going to say, how do you get I mean, everybody else is already in. So what kind of plea deal can you get at this point? Right. Well, I think it was just like we can go through another trial and see if they convict you again or uphold the conviction or we can give you a lesser sentence. Mm -hmm. So they did. They gave her life with parole. So before she was life without parole. So Mm -hmm. no chance of ever getting out. However, so she filed for parole, but it was declined several times. But then. And what year was that? I'm sorry. That was 1994. Okay. In 2007. Remember David. Yes. Yes. Her friend friend who testified against. Yes. Right. Okay. The one who testified against her. David and Stacy. That's right. So David comes forward. David claims that he perjured himself at Sandy's trial. He lied. He lied about Sandy bragging about Cotton's murder. He lied about her saying that she was the one that fired the fatal shot. He lied about her going back to the body. He said that realistically, she only went that one time when I took her the morning after and she was visibly shaken, freaking out, super remorseful. Basically what Sandy said. Why did he lie? The reason why he lied is because he stole a watch and rings from Cotton's body and the prosecution came to him and said, if you don't help us get a conviction, you're going to jail. Um, they basically told him to lie. Blackmailed him. Well, yeah, they blackmailed him. But he said at that time, I wasn't going to jail for anybody because I was 16 years old. Oh my gosh. So did so, Stacy, so I don't know if you know this, but did Stacy just say it too so that she could help David? I think so. Essentially. Probably, she never yeah. really comes forward after that, but that would be my guess. It's yeah. like, okay. mm-hmm. so Troy wrote an affidavit and signed it saying all of this. And he said that Stacy had no knowledge of the gun, that she had no knowledge that, you know, he was going to be basically everything that Sandy has said, that she was freaking out, that she was scared, that she was very remorseful that had happened. She couldn't believe it. She was in shock, you know, all these things. And he basically says, I lied. I perjured myself. Hmm. So then Troy, Troy Kell, he writes an affidavit as well for Sandy saying that Sandy had no knowledge that he had brought a gun or had a gun, even owned a gun, and that she had absolutely no knowledge that he planned on murdering Cotton. That she, as far as she was concerned, the plan was what it was. They were going to intimidate him, to beat him up a little bit, rough him up, get him to stop, and that was it. Oh, wow. They believed it. So in December of 2007, after over 20 years in prison, Sandy was released on parole at the age of 36. Holy 36. Cow. So she spent 20, over 20 years in prison. She's only 36. Jeez. I have to tell you, I feel very, I have issues with kids getting sentenced to prison for life. 
Mm-hmm. I just do. And yeah. I know some things that kids do are heinous. And I'm not saying that Cotton's murder was like less or whatever. It's terrible. It's terrible what happened to him. Horrific that these kids went and, you know, looked at his body and all this stuff. But like she was 16 and scared. Mm-hmm. I just think that life without parole was not the correct sentence. Yeah, no. So she is on parole for life, but is currently petitioning the pardon board to get that reduced or dropped so that she won't always have to be on parole. Mm. So the last that I have heard anything about Sandy was in 2002. So that's been a while ago. And at that time she was living in Nevada, which I'm sure she's still living in Nevada because she can't leave the state. And it was a receptionist at a local plumbing company. I do have a quote from her in 2002 where she says, I survived 21 years in prison because I didn't want to become a product of my environment. I try not to look back too much. My purpose now is to continue to find myself to move forward and try and build a productive life. Hmm. Wow. Sandy also has a GoFundMe page Hmm. that you can go and find that is Sandy Shaw wrongful conviction. Wow. That's amazing. It is. And she admits like in this documentary that I watched, which is sort of about, it was about Troy Kell and like the murder that happened in prison and some of the other things that he has done. But the beginning of the story of how he got into prison was there. And Sandy talks a little bit on like they interview her and stuff. And she is very honest about like that. She made a terrible decision. She made terrible decisions that Mm -hmm. she should never have asked Troy what she asked for that there could you know she should have found a better way but that she was scared she felt hopeless she was a terrified kid she was a 15 year old kid I mean she was scared and you know but she fully admits that she made bad decisions but I mean she paid her debt right 20 21 years wow gosh That is the story of the show and tell murder. That was Cotton Kelly. That was a roller coaster to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, oh, wow. Well, I I literally have never, ever heard that before. Yeah, me neither. I hadn't either. In my entire life. Um, (laughs) Till today. Wow. What an interesting case, though. Like, all of the... Um, friends that turned on you, but then come back, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. oh, and then what? Co- um, not Cotton Troy ends up t- turning out to be in prison. Like clearly, he's probably on that path, mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. was like his uh s- step in. <laughs> you know, I wonder that too. Though, I mean, obviously, yes, he was a criminal. He killed someone for little reason, but um. I do wonder sometimes how, like, once you, you know, when you get in the system like that, especially super, super young. Yeah. It's just what you know. And so, like, how much of it, you know, do you just really become a product of survival? And I understand that, except he, 
literally brought the gun and chose to do that. Well, like, that's what he, I'm saying. Like, yeah. Yes, he was clearly on the path for sure. Right. Yeah. Gosh. Well, well, thanks for that story. Anytime. It's a good bedtime story. Now I shall go to sleep and dream wonderful things. <laughs> <laughs> About show and tell, that old show game. And tell. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't even, I, I don't even want to know what my mind is going to go to when <laughs> I know. My kindergartner has show and tell every Friday. So, yeah. What shall we show? A whole <laughs> new meaning. Don't it show is. your friends your stuff. Yeah, no kidding. Because it might be a dead body. Yeah, and they might turn on you. <laughs> never know. You never know. Oh, Advice gosh. Advice from the closet. Right. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks for telling me that story. Thanks for listening to that story, guys. We totally appreciate it. Um, we look forward to hearing from you. So find us on all of the things and show us all of the love, please. Do as it. much as you want. Email us, please. Send us case suggestions. I don't even care if it's a case you've heard a million times, actually. Maybe you just want to hear us tell it and how we might say put our own that, that's it. actually some nice compliments when people say that like I've heard other podcasters cover this but I'd really like to hear your spin on it that's a very nice yeah. compliment for us because we don't hate it no we don't hate it and truly that a lot of our reviews are in our delivery like wh why they like us is our delivery and how mm -hmm. we are just chatting like we're two friends in a closet chatting which is exactly what we're doing <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you guys listening and like putting it on this you know podcast platform is just you know it's a bonus <laughs> yeah <laughs> just like to chat about the crimes so it's really for us that's all it yes. is it is it's just for us <laughs> but we do love you guys and always appreciate it so like i said find us and shout out to us we'd love to hear from you and always remember the world is scary people suck hide in your closets I'm not going to be able to do that.